Well, if you have a Bible with you, you can turn to John's Gospel. We'll look at uh, some verses out of the first chapter. Some of them we looked at last week, but uh, we'll expand a little bit. <clears throat> Text is also there on the next page of the bulletin. Uh, you know, since it's Sunday uh, after Christmas Day, it's technically Christmas Sunday, uh, even though there was a lot of celebration last week because it was Christmas Eve on a Sunday. But uh, because it's that day, we're talking about the Incarnation. Uh, and so Incarnation, that word means enfleshment. Uh, and it's a word that comes from the idea that's found in this passage. You can see it there in verse 14 where it says, The word became flesh and dwelt among us. So the incarnation is when God became a human in the person of Jesus. The one true and only God assumed our flesh. The creator took on a created nature and became fully human while remaining fully God. And he moved into the neighborhood, as some have put it. So Richard Sibbs was an Anglican theologian, and in the early 1600s he said this, The incarnation is a greater mystery than that of creation. We cannot too often meditate on these things. It is the life and soul of a Christian. It is the marrow of the gospel. It is the wonder of wonders. We need not wonder at anything after this. So my aim this morning is simply to meditate together on the wonder of wonders, the incarnation of the word in the Lord Jesus. So let me pray, then we'll read the scripture. Father, help us to give our attention to your word. That is, to give our attention to your son, which is to give our attention to you. We pray that you'd help us to know you in your incarnate word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In the beginning was the word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Praise be to you, O Christ. So we don't know the exact date when Jesus was born, uh, but you know, Christmas is when the church celebrates that, celebrates his birth. And his birth uh, was unlike any other birth. Probably point to a lot of reasons why that's true, but... um, For our purpose this morning, we can say that his birth was unique because he was sent into the world. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit of God, born of a virgin, but he was sent into the world. For every other human being who ever lived, conception and birth is the beginning of existence, right? I'm 44 years old. I did not exist 45 years ago, and you would not say that I was sent into the world at my birth Because I wasn't already in existence to be sent. But this person existed before he was conceived and born into this world. 
John is talking about the pre-existence of this person who is called the Word. He's called the Word, and then this whole gospel is about Jesus. We know Jesus is this Word that John is talking about. He is the person who John is talking about his pre-existence, right? So conception and birth mark our creation, but the Word is uncreated. It says in verse 3, All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Not one thing. If every single created thing, without exception, was made through him, then he himself is not a created thing. He is creator. So he was in the beginning with God, as one person is with another person. As I mentioned last week, it might be more accurate to translate it that the word was toward God. The word was with God, like one person is with another person, but really that word literally is toward. The word was toward God. A person is one who lives toward another person, who faces another person, who communes with an other who gives to an other, who leans into a relationship with an other. So the Word is eternally the one and only God who is not alone, who is with the one and only God, who lives unto the one and only God. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. In the beginning, before all worlds, before time itself, his being. We can't imagine what it's We can hardly even begin to understand what time actually is. We can't imagine before there was time, before the creation of the world, but his being is eternity. His being is ultimate reality. His being is the beginning. His being is the source of all being. His being is communion. His being defines personhood and life. So at the heart of all reality is this God and his word who is God with God. All things exist because God is this God, person facing person. Person with person, a communion of love and gift and glory and speaking. All things exist because God is this God. All things exist because God breathes out a word, a word who is God with God. The word did not only exist before being conceived, before being born as a human being. The word existed before all things. This word defines existence. This word is very God of very God. This word is not part of God, like, you know, one third of God. It's a common sort of way that we misconceive what the Trinity means. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, each one must be like a third of God. Uh, No. This word is the whole God. And this word is the only God. And there is no other. The substance 
and majesty and glory of this word is the very substance and majesty and glory of the one true and only God. From the beginning, the word was in God and God was in the word. There never was a time before this word. This word initiates time. This word creates time. This word gives time its reality and its meaning and its purpose. This word, this one true God with God, gives all things reality and meaning and purpose. So he's called the word here. What does that mean? What do words do? What is the basic function of a word? What's the, what are the fundamental things that words do? They communicate. They reveal, they make known what the speaker wants to be made known. They communicate. So when it comes to God, his word that reveals him, the word that he speaks, is so potent that it creates all things out of nothing. His word creates whole new realms for God to be known. His word creates new others to know the God who speaks. The word who is God with God makes God known to us, his creatures, which gives us our reality and our meaning and our purpose in our relationship with God. So the, world, the, the word reveals God to us for our relational knowing, which establishes and defines our true personhood and our life. The word reveals God supremely in his incarnation. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. It's not a, a disembodied word. It's the incarnate word. <clears throat> And the, the disciples would say, we have seen, we've visited in person his glory. We haven't seen his glory. The disciples, the apostles, saw his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father. There's some standard Trinitarian language that we're used to. Full of grace and truth. No one's ever seen God. The only God who's at the Father's side, and literally that's in the Father's bosom, he has made him known. He has exegeted the Father for us. Right? So the Word became flesh, and his name is Jesus. So his conception and birth in time and space was the beginning of his created human nature, not the beginning of his divine nature. We've already established that was preexistent and eternal. But his conception and birth is the beginning of his created human nature. The eternal preexistent person who is this word, who is God with God, the only son from the father, the one true God. This one took on a created nature. He assumed our humanity. He united himself to us in his own person. So in the incarnation, the word did not cease to be the word. That's incredibly important. The word did not cease to be this God with God. He is one person who has two natures, fully divine and fully human, truly God and truly man, 
two distinct natures without being confused or mixed in any way. So when you see Jesus, as we see him in the Gospels, when you see Jesus, you see a man who is really a man. You see a man who is also God and a God who is also a man. And apparently it does not contradict the nature of God to become like this man, Jesus. The devil would have had us believe from the beginning. You see it in Genesis 3, the serpent in the garden, basically tempting Adam and Eve to to believe that God doesn't want us to be like him. He doesn't want us to be like him, but here he's willing to become like us. And that does not contradict the nature of God to become like us, to become like this man, Jesus. In fact, it reveals the nature of God. It reveals the nature of God that he would become this man, Jesus. It is not out of character for God to become this man. Everything about this man discloses the character of God. Because this man, Jesus, is the word incarnate. The only God who makes God known. So we know God did not become unlike himself in order to become one of us. If he did become unlike himself, how then could he be making himself known? If you were going to look at the life of Jesus Christ and separate out those distinct natures, but keep them really separate. And you look at his obedience to the Father. You look at the life of Jesus Christ and you see his extreme humility, his humble service, his loving service, his suffering, and his death, and his human, his, his humanity. You look at his humanity and say, well, that's only his humanity. That tells us nothing about his divinity. You would be denying that he is the word come to make God known in who he is. In the incarnation, the word was not muffled or obscured or silenced. The word resounded with utmost clarity. The word does not make God known apart from his humanity. The word does not make God known in spite of his humanity. He comes to make God known as this human being, Jesus. It is the Son of God who became a man while remaining the Son of God. It is the Word of God who is the person who acts in the humanity of Jesus, while continuing to be the Word who reveals God. So it is Jesus who, as the writer of Hebrews says, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. So the Word of God becoming flesh, being laid in a manger, being baptized, facing temptations in the wilderness, the Word of God befriending sinners and healing the sick, and feeding the hungry, and confronting the self-righteous, and suffering rejection, and hanging on a cross, and being laid in a tomb. This is the God who speaks, speaking. Jesus is the God who makes himself known, and he is this God being true to himself. He's being true to himself by being Jesus. The Word made flesh 
is full of grace and truth. In Jesus, the word incarnate, you know God. What you see with Jesus is what you get with God. In Jesus, you know the eternal God. You know God with God. You know the, the only true God. And so you know he is the kind of God who fixes broken people. The kind of God who frees people from spiritual slavery. The kind of God who teaches people about his mercy. The kind of God who forgives sin by drinking the cup of wrath himself. The kind of God who brings rebellious people into his family, loving them, accepting them, never abandoning them. We know this is exactly what God is like because this is exactly what Jesus is like. In Jesus, you know the glorious humility of God who was willing to be made low and to serve and to suffer and even to die. In Jesus, you know the absolute commitment of God who permanently united himself to us by taking a human nature to himself forever. Jesus, the word made flesh, is the only God there is. There is no God who is apart from his creation. There's no God who's apart from humanity. There is only the God who's become one with humanity. His being is his promise and his pledge. In one person we find the whole divine nature and the whole human nature in perfect harmony. And God himself attests that it is very good, attests to the goodness of the word made flesh in his wondrous works and by his resurrection from the dead. And the very existence of the incarnate word, one person in the perfect union of two natures, Continuing forever in the risen and ascended Lord Jesus, the very existence of Jesus means that God is with us and that he will never be without us. In God's eternal plan, he has willed for his own identity to be defined in relationship to humanity. He is God with us. He would not be himself if he were to forsake us. He is God with us. That's who he is. That's how he is. That's his existence. That's, that's his being. Jesus is the word spoken by God to reveal God to you so that you may truly know that this God with God is also God with you. God with us. So Karl Barth said, he is the Lord humbled for communion with man and likewise the servant Exalted to communion with God. That's who Jesus is. Jesus is God standing before men. And Jesus is also man standing before God. Jesus reveals the glorious humility of God. And Jesus reveals the humble glory of humanity. He makes known to us what it means for humans to live, even as the eternal Son himself lives with God as Father. <clears throat> he is, as it says in verse 18, the 
only God who is in the Father's bosom, who has shared his own relationship with God with us. The Father, Jesus says, the Father is in him, and Jesus is in the Father. And he united himself to our flesh so that the same could be true of us. The Father is in us, and we are in the Father through faith in Jesus. (coughs) So Irenaeus said in uh, the second century, he became what we are in order to enable us to become what he is. In Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, Paul says in Colossians 2. And this is so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. The only begotten Son of God became a human so that we might be adopted as sons in his name. The word dwells among us, with us, as one of us, so that we might dwell with him in God forever, which is eternal life. So the word incarnate has opened the life of God with God to us. <clears throat> the word incarnate has prayed to his father so that we could in, be invited to pray to his father and to ours. The word incarnate has lived the spirit-filled life as one of us so that we could bear the fruit of the spirit in our lives. The word incarnate has loved his brothers and sisters so that we can love our brothers and sisters in his name. The one who is the image of the invisible God, as again Paul writes in Colossians. The one who is the image of the invisible God, the son who truly reflects the glorious love of the father, has joined himself to us to renew us in his image, so that we might truly reflect the glorious love of of his father and ours. God has condescended to reveal himself through the humanity of Jesus, and God condescends by his Holy Spirit to reveal himself through us as we bear witness to him in the gospel of his beloved Son, as we love with his own love. So let us love and sing and wonder at the mystery of God with God made flesh as God who is also with us. Amen. I'm going to close with the Lord's own prayer for us, his high priestly prayer, which you'll find in John 17. I'm not going to read the whole thing. But in this, we hear the heart of the word incarnate for us. We hear God's own heart for us as he prays for us. So this will be his prayer and ours. The Lord Jesus said, I ask, Father, that they may all be one. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you've given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me And loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before 
the foundation of the world. Amen.